This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The quasi-quarantine caused by the coronavirus has caused many rifts in American society. Everyone appears to have developed their own set of rules for surviving the crisis. The Return to Order Moment offers three widely different, albeit complementary, sorts of advice from three different authors. All of them are designed to contribute to a state of mind that will help listeners gain a sense of perspective and hopefully be a source of strength. In this spirit, we present Strength to Resist the Coronavirus, Three Perspectives on Surviving the Crisis. The first article comes from Mr. Norman Fulkerson and is entitled, In the Face of Coronaphobia, We Need to Recognize Jesus is My King. The fear of the coronavirus has created a climate of frenetic intemperance that is causing much anxiety and agitation. In times like these, calm is a very important virtue. I witnessed this need for calm during a recent trip to Walmart. I was not there to buy anything since I simply wanted to see how the public was reacting to the crisis. One elderly man stood out from the rest as a paladin of calm and thus provided what I call a return-to-order moment. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon in York, Pennsylvania. I had heard that the shelves of the supermarkets were empty. I went to see for myself by visiting several grocery stores and eventually Walmart, quote-unquote, where America shops. There were, in fact, some bare shelves. At the time of this experience, who knows what tomorrow will bring? Bread, bottled water, milk, and toilet paper were the hot commodities. When I asked an employee what was going on, he said, they think it is Armageddon. Indeed, I noticed a certain frenzy among shoppers. People were still civil with one another, but there seemed to be an ever-so-razor-thin line that prevented things from quickly spiraling out of control. I noticed an employee pulling a cart with paper towels and toilet paper and quickly snapped a photo. He seemed surprised, but continued his trek to fill the empty shelves. As he went, customers came out of the woodwork, following him like a Pied Piper. It reminded me of Black Friday after Thanksgiving. As I was leaving the store, I noticed a calm gentleman different from the frenzied crowd. He was pushing a cart with just one item inside a box of cereal. I was intrigued by the message on his hat that said, Jesus is my boss. Excuse me, sir, I said. I like your hat. He is also my boss. Then I quickly added, I went to the Holy Land last year. Curiously enough, this did not get the response I was expecting, so I added with great emphasis, I walked on the same ground Jesus did. This caught his attention. By his calmness, I sensed that he was someone who had beaten coronaphobia. What is going on here, I asked, pointing to the frenzied masses. With great certainty and total calm, he said, it's the end of the world. While we face a serious situation that requires precautions, I assured the man that it is not the end of the world, but could be a prefigure of it. We chatted a bit about the need for faith in God in these difficult times. Although we possess different religions, I felt that we had something profoundly in common. We cannot let this crisis allow us to forget that we are children of a forgiving God. Like the father of the prodigal son, he is ready to receive us with open arms. The only thing we need to do is repent and return to our father's house. 
In Return to Order, author John Horvat compares our modern society to a cruise ship. This cruise ship has come to a screeching halt. Now it is time to reacquire the lost virtue of calm like the gentleman in Walmart. We must recognize that materialistic solutions alone will not get us out of our mess. It is time that our secularistic world recognizes God's authority and obeys his laws. While I liked my Walmart friend's hat, I would put it in different terms. Referring to the savior of the world as a boss transforms him into a type of big CEO. He is much more. He is truly king of kings and lord of lords. Therefore, it is time for all of us to accept Jesus as our king. End of In Face of Coronaphobia, We Need to Recognize Jesus is My King by Norman Fulkerson. One of the great strengths of Catholicism is its long train of witnesses. Of these, the most important is the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is known by many titles that have developed over centuries. In this case, Mr. Michael Whitcraft introduces us to Our Lady, Refuge of Sinners, in his article, Heavenly Patroness, a sure refuge in these times of crisis. The Chinese virus crisis has led California Governor Gavin Newsom to issue a stay-at-home order. No one in the state is allowed to leave home for non-essential reasons. The rest of the nation may soon be subject to similar restrictions. Due to this forced seclusion, many feel trapped. Contradictory news stories concerning the virus's severity worsen this situation. Some say all the hype is overblown, while alarmists proclaim that the United States is a mere week behind Italy, where military personnel have been called in to remove bodies that can no longer fit in overcrowded funeral homes and cremation ovens. Indeed, those who seek solace through studying the facts more deeply can become buried under mountains of speculation. They are like flies in a spider web. The more they struggle to find the truth, the more entangled they become. Amid the agitation and uncertainty, California's patroness stands as a shining light to assuage fears, calm panic, and build up trust in the Blessed Virgin. Few are aware that California has been under the patronage of Our Lady of Refuge, also known as Refuge of Sinners, since 1843, when California's first bishop, the Most Reverend Francisco Garcia Diego y Moreno, proclaimed her as his state's patroness at the Santa Clara Mission. For this reason, a painting of Our Lady of Refuge can be found in almost every one of the state's historic missions. The proclamation was further ratified in 1982, when the California Bishops Conference succeeded in having the Vatican proclaim her feast to be an obligatory memorial celebrated July 5th throughout the state. The invocation highlights two essential truths. The first is that everyone is a sinner. Many saints throughout history have emphasized this point, perhaps none so entirely as St. Louis de Montfort. In his treatise titled, True devotion to the Blessed Virgin, the saint wrote, By nature, we are prouder than peacocks. We cling to the earth more than toads. We are more base than goats, more envious than serpents, greedier than pigs, fiercer than tigers, lazier than tortoises, weaker than reeds, and more changeable than weathercocks. We have in us nothing but sin and deserve only the wrath of God and the eternity of hell.
This demonstrates every man's need for assistance as he works out his salvation in fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. The good news is that God has provided the church with Our Lady, who is not only the supreme advocate, but also accessible to everyone. She is man's ultimate protection, always present with the solicitude of a mother. The second truth is that Our Lady is man's refuge, regardless of how great may be the evil he faces. This is obvious because sin is the greatest of all evils. Indeed, sin is so terrible that to remedy it, the divine Son of God became man and suffered his cruel passion and death. Sin brought sickness, suffering, and death upon the world. It caused man to be expelled from paradise for all history. Thus, if the Church has proclaimed Our Lady the refuge of sinners, it means that she protects those guilty of the greatest evil that exists. Certainly, she will defend man even more easily when any lesser evil besets him. Knowledge of these two truths drives man to place absolute and unrestricted confidence in Our Lady as the refuge of sinners. Doing so will prevent him from falling into the two great spiritual dangers that can result from the Chinese virus. The first truth That all men are sinners protects him against the danger of becoming angry and revolting against God. This is a common reaction when disaster strikes. However, when man realizes that he is sinful and deserves to be punished, it lessens this temptation. It calls him to accept whatever may come in a spirit of resignation and penance. This attitude not only protects him from sin, but brings him closer to God because it requires the practice of virtue. The second spiritual danger from which Our Lady of Refuge protects mankind is fear and panic. The realization that Our Lady's maternal protection is perpetually at arm's length is a soothing balsam that eases the terror spread far and wide by exaggerated news reports and speculation. The TFP's founder, Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira, often repeated that in these troubled times, which will undoubtedly get worse before they get better, mankind must advance steadfastly, supported by three virtues, courage, calm, and confidence. Indeed, no better advice can be given during the current crisis. This is exactly what Our Lady of Refuge offers mankind. Guarding against anger and revolt by the knowledge of his sinfulness and encouraged by the Blessed Mother's protection, all should pray that these three virtues descend upon the land and lead society through these trying times. Our Lady of Refuge, pray for and protect us in our times of need. End of California's Heavenly Patroness, A Sure Refuge in These Times of Crisis by Michael Whitcraft The last article in this program was written by John Horvath II, the author of the book, Return to Order, From a Frenzied Economy to an Organic Christian Society. He considers the challenges of a post-coronavirus society in his article, Who Needs Conspiracy Theories When Progressives Openly Describe the Post-Corona World? 
This article was originally published by LifeSite on April 6th, 2020, under the title, Liberal Elites Are Already Planning a Post-Corona World That Leaves God, Faith, Far Behind. Anyone who thinks that the coronavirus crisis represented a truce in the raging culture war is very mistaken. The war is only going to accelerate. Likewise, anyone who thinks that there is a need to construct complex conspiracy theories to explain what is happening is also mistaken. Progressive thinkers clearly state how they conceive the post-corona order. They do not think in terms of a narrative in which everything will return to normal. They say the storm will pass, but the world will be changed forever, preferably in their own liberal image and likeness. The thoughts of these visionaries should be a cause of concern to those who defend a moral order and the faith. Their forecasts exclude the views of such defenders as hopelessly backward and even dangerous. One such visionary is Yuval Noah Harari, a history professor at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. He is no writer on the fringe of things. His books have become New York Times bestsellers and enjoyed endorsements from people like former President Barack Obama and Bill Gates. If anyone can speak for the liberal establishment, Harari has the credentials. His post-corona forecast appears in the staid establishment mouthpiece, the Financial Times. His worldview also reflects a secular world without faith. In his 2017 book, Homo Deus, Dr. Harari argues that there is no God, no soul, and no free will. For him, life is merely a succession of chemical reactions and algorithms that interact and evolve with nature. He believes that techno-enabled humanity will eventually become immortal gods. Thus, this postmodern wizard represents the cutting edge of progressive thought. This is why when he speaks, It makes sense to listen. The author makes three chilling observations about the post-corona future that should not be ignored. The first observation is that the coronavirus crisis is going to change the economy, politics, and culture radically within a short time frame if world leaders act, quote, quickly and decisively, unquote. This crisis will, quote, unquote, fast forward historical processes. They will allow officials to conduct massive experiments, even using dangerous technologies. Decisions that normally would take years or even decades of deliberation will be passed in a matter of hours. In this climate of panic, people will accept measures they would never agree to in normal times. Those who share this vision do not desire a return to normal. They want a different order that reflects their worldview. This future is not presented as a choice. But as a consummated fact, the crisis will quickly impose it upon the nations. There is no turning back to an old order. Implicit in the declarations of Professor Harari is that old paradigms must change in conformity with, quote-unquote, global solidarity. Old-fashioned ideas will no longer work in this brave new world. Informed technocrats using science and data will be much more capable of ruling the world than elected officials. The most disturbing aspect of this observation about the future is its stealth character. It enters into the scene, not unlike the coronavirus, quickly and without the consent of those directly affected. 
The second observation of Dr. Harari is the coming age of universal surveillance of citizens. He notes that the coronavirus is already bringing online instruments of public monitoring that dwarf all past efforts to keep watch over people. The coronavirus threatens to, quote, normalize the deployment of mass surveillance tools in countries that have so far rejected them, unquote. The progressive visionary is not so naive as to think that this technology cannot be harmful or dangerous. A smartphone that transmits the location of virus victims can also be programmed to monitor temperature and blood pressure. Medical monitoring can also record biological phenomena like emotions, joys, and anger. It might measure reactions to conservative or liberal ideas found online. All this data can be harvested and sold to corporate marketing departments and confiscated by government agencies. However, this writer claims that universal monitoring can also be a source of citizen empowerment. Monitoring can be beneficial when moderated by institutions that build relationships of trust. His solution is not to rebuild trust in the family, community, or church. Instead, he lists institutions that have betrayed this trust in the past and are found at the core of the culture war. Quote, People need to trust science, to trust public authorities, and to trust the media, he notes. Adding to the tension, he decries the conspiracy theories and, quote, irresponsible politicians who have deliberately undermined trust in science, in public authorities, and in the media, unquote. Thus, the progressive narrative of the coronavirus crisis follows the Harari script by presenting the false dilemma of either accepting an enlightened technocracy or irresponsible totalitarianism. He excludes real alternatives that are more in line with America's past. The final observation presents yet another false dilemma. The professor claims that the post-corona society must choose between what he calls nationalist isolation and global solidarity, unquote. The normal option of a nation that affirms its own identity yet shares a common humanity is not even on the table. Effective action facing the crisis can only be done through not always voluntary global cooperation. Thus, Nations need to share information, technology, and discoveries globally. There must be a spirit of global cooperation and trust. It is a rather ironic conclusion, since few trust the Chinese authorities who failed to share the news of the illness when it broke out. Western scientists continue to question the Chinese communist creative use of statistics that support their agenda. This new solidarity must transcend all political, philosophical, and cultural differences. A communist government, Islamic theocracy, or brutal dictatorship are all equal in this vast effort to save lives. He foresees a kind of universal community coordinated by enlightened leaders and technocrats. Quote, just as countries nationalize key industries during a war, the human war against coronavirus may require us to humanize the crucial production lines, unquote. The noted author foresees rich nations coming to the aid of poor countries, even to the point of pooling medical personnel and distributing vital supplies more fairly. Global cooperation is also needed on the economic front, as rich nations will be invited to share the wealth. 
Such communal dreams of global cooperation are hardly new. They have long populated the dreams of utopian social planners who are only too willing to impose their plans on the world, always with catastrophic results. Nevertheless, the panic of this crisis is how the inconceivable becomes possible. The three observations of Yuval Harari all have characteristics in common. The first is a noted hostility toward the culture war perspective of countless Americans. They are dismissed as forces of disunity that oppose science and global solidarity. A second alarming characteristic is a willingness to sidestep established procedures and freedoms to impose their worldview upon the nation. Whether it be through quickened historical processes, universal surveillance, or global cooperation, the underlying message is the need for supra-government mechanisms to do what is best for humanity. Finally, the Harari game plan excludes a moral framework based on objective standards of right and wrong, or even the rule of law. As one who believes in neither the soul or free will, he denies any role of religion and God. His is a cold, brutal world without purpose or redemption. The Harari narrative is found in the daily avalanche of news. It is easy to find the measures, methods, and goals he outlines interwoven into the crisis. A recent editorial in the Wall Street Journal by Henry Kissinger repeats the idea that the crisis, quote, will forever alter the world order, unquote. Countless writers, thinkers, and politicians echo this menacing message. Conspiracy theories need hidden methods, unchecked power, and massive networks to be believable enough to find adherence. However, in the case of the corona crisis, who needs conspiracy theories? Thinkers like Yuval Harari openly write about their chilling post-corona future without God. Fortunately, God also has a future in mind. He writes straight with crooked lines. He might have some surprises that these progressive visionaries cannot see. End of Strength to Resist the Coronavirus, Three Perspectives on Surviving the Crisis. Thank you so much for listening. To read these and find related articles, please visit our websites at www.tfp.org and www.returntoorder.org. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property. T.F.P.